Well, good morning and welcome to Epic. My name is Tim Jones and I'm one of the pastors on staff and we are so glad that you are here with us today. Thank you so much for joining us for the second part of our Christmas series called Foretold. And in this series, we are looking or discovering the Christmas story afresh by looking at some of the predictions that happened thousands of years ago and that told us to anticipate the Messiah being born. Now, last week, Evan kicked us off by showing us that some of the foretelling of the Messiah and the anticipation of the Messiah started all the way back near the beginning of history with Adam and Eve. And through Adam and Eve's sin, God reached out to them to restore them into a relationship, even though they were hiding. And at, through, while Adam and Eve were you know, not sure exactly their right standing with God in that moment, God would make a prediction. He would give a sign that the Messiah was going to come and that he would be born of a woman to restore even us into a relationship with God. And so as history began to unfold, um, God would continue to reach out to us and give us promises and give us predictions and prophecies that would tell us about the birth of the Savior, the Savior of the world. Now, talking about anticipation, it's one of the things that I love most about the Christmas season, and I bet it's one of the things that you enjoy most about the Christmas season as well. And so I'm going to need a little audience participation, all right? So it's all right for you to answer this question as well. So here's the question. What are some of your favorite moments to anticipate during the season? So just call it out. Christmas something, yes. Uh, What else? Food. Family. Smiling faces, that's awesome. What else do you like to anticipate? Presents, yes, there we go. Somebody said in the first service, presents to re-gift. I was like, come on, that's not good, you know? So, but anyways, yeah, there are some amazing moments to anticipate during the Christmas season. And the Christmas season is so fun, joy-filled moments. Uh, There are so many of those moments. And when we think about the Christmas uh, story, especially when we think about the scene of Joseph and Mary and the baby Jesus, we think of it as kind of an array of light of, you know, perfect peace and just tranquility and things were going so well. But did you realize that the Christmas story is actually full of moments of uncertainty? Did you realize that the Christmas story is actually full of tensions and relationships, uh, fearfulness of how people uh, were going to respond in the situation, and then also many stressful moments? Um, When you think about Joseph, uh, who took Mary, who was already pregnant, to be his wife. I mean, imagine being Joseph, okay? And Mary comes to you after being gone for three months visiting her relatives, and she tells you that she is pregnant with God's child. I mean, could you imagine the thoughts that flooded his mind as he walked away from that uh, conversation, the questions that he had in his mind, questions such as, you know, um, you know, who's the real father? Um, Does she really love me? You know, maybe someone took advantage of her, you know, and she just doesn't want to tell me what happened. Or, you know, I mean, really an angel came and told her that? I mean, can I really believe her? Is she really trustworthy? And we know that he didn't believe her because he decided to separate, to end the engagement, which back then was like divorce. And back then in that culture, if you were engaged and you were a woman and you got pregnant from someone else and not the person you were engaged with, like that 
person that you were going to marry could have you stoned. I mean, could you imagine being Mary, who, yes, was assured by an angel of all the things that were happening to her, that they were of God, but yet actually having to tell Joseph the news and what had happened? I mean, all of a sudden she had to face her entire town which was a small town, and everybody knew everyone. And could you imagine walking through the streets as her and having all these eyes upon you? And as soon as people were approaching you, that they would turn away from you and not speak to you because of what had happened? Could you imagine the judgment that she would have felt in those moments and the fear that she experienced with not knowing exactly what Joseph was going to do? Was he going to have her stoned to death or not? And if not then she would be left on her own to raise this son in a culture that would reject her and treat her like an outsider and treat her like a nobody. So when we look at the uncertainties around Joseph and Mary's experiences in the birth of their son, Jesus, it kind of makes it real for us. And in fact, it's kind of good because when we look at the story, sometimes some of us just think it's just a good story, but yet it becomes something that we can relate to, something that we can understand because we've all had moments of uncertainty. We've all had moments where we're not sure exactly where we're going to go. We've all had moments of you know, having something happen in a relationship and now there is tension in that relationship. Or we've all been uncertain of our financial futures at some point. Or we've all had stress or pain or hurt or suffering. And so what is it that we want in those moments of uncertainty? And what we want in those moments of uncertainty is certainty. We want to know that everything will be okay. We want to know that someone is going to be with us in those moments. We want to have peace in uncertain times. And so today, we're going to check out this prophecy, which was told thousands of years ago about the Messiah. And we're going to see what God has to offer in those uncertain times that applies to not only back then, but to us today. Does he really know us? Does he know our needs? Is he going to be found to be reliable and trustworthy? Is he going to be able to help us through the anticipation of the birth of the Savior? And can it apply to our lives and our current circumstances now? So if you would, would you turn to Isaiah chapter 7, verse 2? We're going to kind of go back from the Christmas story to back where this prediction was originally made and understand the context in which it was given to be able to understand for us today how it impacts us. So go ahead and turn to Isaiah chapter 7, verse 2. Um, if you have your Bible or smartphone device, if you don't, just turn to your neighbor and uh, ask for an early Christmas gift uh, because some of you got some great phones out there and some great Bibles. Uh, just kidding. If you don't have a Bible, feel free to always get one from the back as a gift to you. But go ahead and turn to Isaiah chapter 7, verse 2. We're going to put it up on the screens, but it's always good to read it in your Bibles. And uh, so go ahead and turn there. 
Now, again, it's important for us to understand the context of this history. So I'm going to share a little bit of history of what's going on at this point that we're turning back to way before the Messiah was born. All right. And so at that time, the nation of Israel was divided into two kingdoms. There was the northern kingdom, which was still referred to as Israel. And that's in the color pink there. And then some of it was actually in Aram, but there were other kingdoms starting to develop and take over some of the people that were living in that area who were the Jewish people. And in Israel, many of their kings were bad kings. They did not follow God and they did some massively evil things um, as they ruled Israel. And then the other part of the kingdom of Israel split into what is known as Judah. And in Judah, sometimes they would have like two kings that were good and then alternate and then have one king that was bad, two that were good, one that was bad. And they kind of went back and forth like that. And at times God would send a prophet who would speak on his behalf to the people who were not following God, to the leaders who were not following God, to warn them, to turn back to him. And so we're picking up in 734 BC, almost 3000 years ago. And King Ahaz has become the king of Judah, the Southern kingdom that split off. And at that time, Israel and Aram, and so when you look at those two countries on the map there, um, they joined forces and said, hey, let's join forces because we've got the Assyrian Empire that is uh, gaining speed, gaining momentum. They're awesome, they're big, they're powerful, and they wanna come down and wipe out all these smaller kingdoms and make their way down to Egypt because Egypt is weak at the time. And so they're afraid. They say, hey, Judah, join us in the fight. And King Ahaz says, no, I'm not joining you. And so they're mad. They attack Judah. They join up and gang, gang up on Judah. But Judah didn't fall. They didn't capture the capital city of Jerusalem. They didn't overthrow King Ahaz. But now King Ahaz begins to make his own plans. But he doesn't consult God. And so all of a sudden, he's doing all these things in these uncertain times. And God sends a prophet, Isaiah, to speak directly to King Ahaz. So starting in verse 2. The news had come to the royal court of Judah and Syria, or Aram. The two names are synonymous. They're the same. So the news had come to the royal court of Judah. Syria is allied with Israel against us. So the hearts of the king and his people trembled with fear, like trees shaking in a storm. Then the Lord said to Isaiah, take your son, Shir Jashub. Now, if you're looking for a good you know, name, I know there's like a dozen of you who are about to have children, a, a boy, that would be a good name. That would be unique. And, and go out to meet King Ahaz. And you will find him at the end of the aqueduct that feeds water into the upper pool near the road leading to the field where cloth is washed because he is so concerned about that area because it is very weak if they attack again. Now let's pause here because we've got to learn a little bit more about Ahaz, King Ahaz, okay? Sounds like no big idea for Isaiah to go out to King Ahaz and talk to him, right? But King Ahaz is not a good king. He did not follow the examples of his uh, father and of his grandfather who followed God. King Ahaz worshiped other gods his entire life. And so um, Isaiah would go out on a regular basis to warn King Ahaz, hey, you're not following God. Hey, you're leading Judah away from God. Like you need to do something about this. And he would not listen. And when Israel and Syria joined forces to attack King Ahaz, started to worship their gods. 
And he thought, hey, if I turn to their gods, then I'm kind of on the same side and maybe they won't attack me, you know? And then he even uh, sacrificed some of his children uh, to try to appease these gods uh, to say, hey, don't destroy me. Don't destroy the nation of Judah. And so at the same time, he also did this other kind of deal. He stripped the temple of God of its riches and sent off all of that money and riches to Assyria to say, hey, if you attack Israel and you know, Syria, then please don't attack us. And so he had this deal going on with them at the same time. But despite all of his evil actions and his plotting, he was still a frightened man who was worried about what was going to happen to him. He was so uncertain. And yet he had never turned towards God, but yet God still reaches out to him in a very personal way. And that's what we're going to come into at this point. So let's see how God reaches out to him in verse four. God says to Isaiah, tell him that as King Ahaz, it's over, Rover, you're toast. No, he doesn't say that. But he says, tell him, King Ahaz, to stop worrying. Tell him he doesn't need to fear the fierce anger of those two burned out embers, King Rezin of Syria and Pekah, son of Ramalia. Yes, the kings of Syria and Israel are plotting against him, saying, we will attack Judah and capture it for ourselves. Then we will install the son of Tabil as, kings, as Judah's king. But this is what the sovereign Lord says. This invasion will never happen. It will never take place. Unless your faith is firm, I cannot make you stand firm. Now, Isaiah is probably thinking, like, God, are you serious? You want me to say what? You're going to offer this guy a way out? I mean, do you remember, like, he is a bad dude. Like, he sacrificed his own kids, We have given him, you have given him many opportunities to turn towards you and nothing seems to work. And if God responded to him, God would say, yes, I know, I know. But my heart is to seek and to save those who are lost. And although he is against me, I am concerned just as much for those who are against me and those who are in desperate situations. So you go tell King Ahaz, I know exactly where he is at. And those two kings in the north, tell him not to worry about them. I know their plot, I know what they're planning, but he is not going to be impacted. So you tell King Ahaz that I've got this. And all he has to do is turn to me, to trust me, to cry out. And I will give him peace in the midst of his uncertainty. Now that's amazing. I mean, think about it. That is amazing that the God of the universe would show up in such a personal way to give this message to this king who had no like interest in him whatsoever to help him in his greatest need at that time. I mean, that is amazing. But do you realize that's God's heartbeat? Do you realize that's what God wants to do in our moments of uncertainty? Do you know that he wants you to turn to him and that he wants to provide in those moments? That God wants to provide when we are most uncertain. And all we have to do is take a step of trust towards him in those moments. 
Well, let's see how King Ahaz responds here, all right? Let's continue. Unfortunately, King Ahaz didn't believe Isaiah, so God sends another message. I mean, can you believe that? Verse 10, later the Lord sent this message to King Ahaz, ask the Lord your God for a sign of confirmation, Ahaz. Make it as difficult as you want, as high as heaven or as deep as the place of the dead. So now we get a full picture of just, you know, how much King Ahaz has dug in, you know? God offers him to say, make a request, ask for a sign, ask for a sign that I will perform so that you will be able to take a step of trust towards me. I mean, I have never, never heard of God making such an offer to anyone, but that's the offer that God makes to him. And yet, even though King Ahaz is at the end of his rope, he still does not turn towards God. He still does not cry out to him. And this is what he says instead. Listen to this. He says in verse 12, but the king refused. No, he said, I will not test the Lord like that. Now, at first glance, you kind of look at that and you say, well, you know, the king's response, it's not that bad, right? You know, I mean, who should test God? You know, that's probably not a good idea. He's probably a wise king. We should listen to this king. Now, if you believe that, I've got a few politicians that I'd like to introduce you to. Um, because really, King Ahaz has never followed God in his entire lifetime. And so his response easily shows us that he is not interested in turning towards God. I mean, who would refuse such an invitation directly from God that is so personal, that is helping him in the midst of his uncertainty? Now, when I look at that, I don't know why, you know, King Ahaz would have refused that. It doesn't make sense to me. But here's what I do understand. You know, there have been moments in my life where I've been kind of in over my head. There have been moments in my life where I've tried to carry a burden that is too much for me to carry. There have been times where I've been up to my neck in worry and stress and discouragement. One time uh, when I was working for a company that was literally like failing, it was going under, uh, everything I did uh, in the sight of my boss was not good enough. And I have like never you know, failed at anything like major like that. And I just couldn't understand what was going on and why I wasn't doing the right deal in that moment. And to make things worse, um, I really wanted at the time to be a pastor, but it, the doors just kept shutting and it wasn't going anywhere. And so I found myself um, not being able to get up very well in the morning. I was dragging out of bed for the first time in my life. I've never experienced that. You know, I was in a place that wasn't good. Uh, during that time, I was just asking all these questions and just complaining about what was happening to me. And the times that I spent with God, um, they just weren't very good. It just felt stale. It just felt like I was going through the motions and I was just giving him lip service rather than trusting him. And at that time in my uncertainty, I came to a spot where I had to make a choice, a choice to either turn to God and trust him and cry out to him by faith and ask for his help, or to make a choice where I would continue to grow in um, bitterness, in getting just down upon myself, kind of in a depression, and just get um, just so super concerned about what I was in and just being there. 
And here's what happened while I was making that decision. I felt like God just kept on saying to me, hey, Tim, just trust me. I mean, whether that was through a message that I heard on a Sunday morning at the church I was attending or through other people, I just felt God saying, trust me, trust me. And so when I finally made a decision to cry out to him and ask him for help and say, God, I just trust you, here's what I found. I found that opened up my heart to receive his care his love, and his provision. I found that God was reaching out to me and cared about me. He led me to a friend during that time that would encourage me. He actually, several months later, gave me a boss who believed in me as a person and who believed in me as a worker. And then he also, later on down the road, gave me just assurance that, Tim, I've got a plan for you. I've got a plan for you. And I want you to be a pastor one day but not right now. And so as I turned to God in those moments, here's what I found. I didn't get out of the hole in one day, you know? I mean, it was like he led me to one step, which led to many other steps. But here's what I found. I found a new side of God that I would have never experienced if I had not turned towards him. And I found out just how much he cared for me, how much he knew exactly what I was going through and how much he was willing to help me. Now, don't answer this out loud, but where are you at? You know, what season are you going through? You know, are you so stressed out? Are you so worried about something? Are you not sure of what's going to happen in the future? And would you, would you consider turning towards God, crying out to him and trusting him and saying, God, I trust you. So think about that, and we'll come back to that, all right? Let's continue on in the story. So let's pick back up and see uh, with King Ahaz and how God responds to him. We already know how King Ahaz responds. He doesn't respond very well, but let's watch how God responds in this moment. And you don't wanna miss this, all right? You don't wanna miss this because here's the offer that God gives to all of us in the midst of our uncertainties. And here's that prediction that he gave thousands of years ago about the Messiah uh, that is, shows us just how trustworthy he is. So starting in verse 13, then Isaiah said, listen well, you royal family of David. He's speaking to King Ahaz. Isn't it enough to exhaust human patience? Must you exhaust the patience of my God as well? All right, then the Lord himself will give you a sign. So you're not going to ask for a sign. Well, God's going to give you a sign. And here's something that may sound familiar. Here's the sign. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. Now let's camp out here because those are some very familiar words for us, but they were some words that were new to the audience back then. And there's some ramifications back then and there's some ramifications for us. There's some major implications. So let me break down kind of three major implications, okay? So the first is what happened exactly for the time period for King Ahaz and Judah. When God would give a prophecy, all right, a foretelling of something that was going to happen, there was an immediate fulfilling of that prophecy around that time period. And so at that point, many scholars think that there was a woman who was a virgin at that point of telling of this prophecy, and all of a sudden she got married, she conceived of a child, had a son, and called him Emmanuel. And most likely this woman uh, ran in the same circles as King Ahaz. And every time King Ahaz came across 
her with her child, he would be reminded of the sign that God would give to protect them from the kings from the north and how much that he did not listen to God. And so we know that because listen to what Isaiah continues to say in verse 15. He says, by the time this child is old enough to choose what is right and reject what is wrong, he will be eating yogurt and honey. For before the child is that old, the lands of the two kings you fear so much will both be deserted. And sure enough, that's what happened. You can look it up in the history books, all right? Two years later, the, as this child probably became knowing from right and wrong, the two kings from the north were no longer a threat. God had saved Judah despite what King Ahaz had done in not trusting God. And just kind of a little note uh, that's interesting here. Remember King Ahaz who like sent off the money to bribe the Assyrians, you know, and he cries out to the Assyrians instead of crying out to God for help. Well, later on, the Assyrians kind of, you know, do a little swap there, kind of, you know, turn on him. And instead they come on down and they capture Judah, capture the king and put them in bondage. God allows that to happen. He does, they aren't destroyed, but he allows them to put them into bondage. Now, let's focus on the two major implications for us. So here's that point in history, and let's allow, like, come to when Jesus is being born, because these are some powerful implications for us, all right? So the second major implication of this prophecy is that it points to Jesus being born. And you remember, as we pick up back in the story of Mary and Joseph, Joseph, he is not sure of what to do in that moment. But he decides in the midst of his uncertainty that he is going to break off his engagement with Mary, and we know that. And so Joseph, uh, he's like, all right, God, I'm gonna just break it off. And God reaches out to him in a very personal way, in a way that makes so much sense for Joseph and for Mary, because God was just as concerned for Mary as well. I mean, if she, didn't, if, if she didn't have Joseph, who would she have? There wouldn't be a community that was going to be for her at that point. So listen in Matthew, let's fast forward. Matthew one twenty says, as Joseph considered this, as in terms of he was ready to break this thing up, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Joseph, son of David, the angel said, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife for the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit and she will have a son and you are to name him Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. All of this occurred to fulfill the Lord's message through his prophet so long ago. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. And so when Joseph woke up, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded and took Mary as his wife, but he did not have sexual relations with her until her son was born. And Joseph named him Jesus. That's exactly what Joseph needed to hear. And God showed up precisely on time to help him, to encourage him in his uncertainty. And so the final implication, here it is for us, okay? So Isaiah prophesied a long time ago in King Ahaz's day that Jesus would be called Emmanuel, God is with us. And when we look at Jesus's birth and what it should mean to us, here's what it means. It means that Jesus, who is God in the flesh, came to earth to experience what we experience. He came So that it would answer the questions of where is God 
Well, God showed up. It would answer questions, well, who is God? And we would know exactly who God is because of Jesus. And Jesus came to deal with sin. So by being able to die on the cross so that we could have a relationship with him. So the Savior was born so that we could have peace with God when we turn to him, when we cry out, when we put our faith in Jesus to forgive us of our sins. And when we have the son, when we've asked him to be our savior, Jesus resides in us and he is with us. He is not distant. He is not near. God's greatest gift is that he gives us his son, born of a woman, born to a virgin, who is Emmanuel, who is God is with us and he is in you and you are not alone in your uncertainty. And so I don't know where you're at in this Christmas season. You know, maybe some of you are facing some things that are so uncertain in your world. You know, maybe you are stressed out. Maybe you are maxed out. Maybe, um, you're going through something and you are at the end of yourself and you're just not sure where to turn. Maybe you've been trying to you know, tackle those things that are so uncertain in life on your own. Maybe it's something that's like a prolonged illness. Maybe it's some financial issues, a relationship issue. Maybe it's anxiety or depression or you just don't know what's the next step that's in front of you. Wherever you are at, in a moment, I'm gonna close us out in a word of prayer. And would you, during that prayer, would you pray to God? Would you turn towards him? Would you cry out to him? Would you say, God, here's my situation. Be as raw in your emotion as you need to be and explain to him exactly where you are at. And at the end, just say, God, I trust you. I trust you. So maybe you're facing something, uh, a sickness or something that you just, you know, you just don't have an answer. In that moment, would you just pray to God, God, here's where I'm at. I'm at the end of myself and I've tried all of these things, but I'm going to turn to you and I'm gonna trust you and I'm gonna trust that you're going to lead me to the next step. Or maybe you're facing some financial difficulties and it's not working out on the paper. I mean, everything that you do, every little you know, nuance that you're thinking through and how can I get more money, it's just not paying off. Would you instead turn to God and cry out to him for help and, and say, God, would you help me? I don't know what to do next. And would you say to him, I trust you. And if he provides an answer and it's a hard answer, are you willing to do that? Or for some of you, maybe you're going through a relationship issue right now. Maybe it's in your marriage and it's just not going well and you're not sure what to do. Would you be able to say to God, God, I need your help. Would you come into my situation? Would you help me? I trust you. Or maybe you're just so stressed out, you just don't know what step to take. And would you just cry out to him and say, God, I just need you. I trust you in this moment. And here's what will happen, okay? When you cry out to him, you will open your heart up to his care, to his peace, to his provision. And when you trust him, you will be assured through your experiences that he is with you. Because God's greatest gift for you is that his presence is with us in the midst 
of our uncertainties. That's the fulfillment of his prophecy. That's what he has done. And that's how much he is trustworthy. So I'm going to close us out in a word of prayer. And then we're going to sing a song that you don't want to miss because it's a song of assurance of maybe where you are at. And during this prayer, if you are in an uncertain season right now, just pray to him and say, God, here's where I'm at. I'm go- here's exactly where I'm at. I'm going to turn to you. I'm going to cry out to you. And God, I trust you. And if you're not in a season of uncertainty, would you pray for those who are in this room? There are many people, I'm sure, going through uncertain things at this moment. And would you pray for them and say, God, would you help the people who are in this room who are going through uncertain times? Would you show yourself as real and personal to them? Would you give them a first step for trusting you? And then if you're just checking out this whole God thing and then kind of like, wow, I just never knew about these prophecies that foretold of the Savior being born, but I'm not sure if I'm right there yet. You know, I don't know if I can cry out to God and say, God, would you help me, you know, to know you more? Would you just simply say to God, God, I'm going to come back next week and I want to hear more of these prophecies that unfold into the Christmas story. And so let's go ahead and pray. So pray with me. So Father, we thank you so much for today. God, we thank you that you reached out to us thousands of years ago to be able to say to us that you care for us, that you sent a message showing us that the Messiah would come one day. And that God, as you continue to make promises that you continue to tell prophecies. Jesus, we thank you so much for coming to show us exactly who God is. And I pray for some who are in the room right now, God. I know that there are so many people who are facing uncertainties in life, whether that is a prolonged illness or whether that's financial issues, relationship issues, whatever they are facing, God. I pray that they will, in this moment, as we pray together, that they will cry out to you, that they will get real in their emotions, You want to hear that from us, even the uncertainty, even the doubt. And God, I would just pray that they would just get real with you so that you can show up in such a personal way that they would know that you are trustworthy as you give them a step, which may lead to many steps as they, it may be a long road that is in front of them. And so God, I pray that today that they will be encouraged that God, you are with us. You are in us and that you care so much about us and you continue to reach out to us in these moments and you love to do that. You love to provide. And so God, we ask that you would do a great work in us and we thank you for that. Now remind us in this song, God, of the truths that we've heard today and may it speak to someone's heart of exactly who you are. And so we thank you in Jesus' name, amen.